We're back. back. That's right. Season three starts now. And what a guest we have. Earlier in the month, we poured a cup of coffee and sat down with best-selling author, Stanford University lecturer, and our new friend, Nir Ayal. It was such a dream to spend time with Nir and talk about Indistractable, as well as habit-forming technology, the psychology behind it, and so much more. It really was. Be sure to listen to the end, because we threw some bonus questions at him before we hung up. Yeah, and we're going to be adding all sorts of resources for you to become Indistractable on our social media platforms, and we've included some of Nir's favorites right here in our show notes. We hope you enjoy the premiere of season three. Enjoy. Your book, Indistractable, meant so much to both of us. And it changed my life for the better after reading it. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Oh, my goodness. That's like catnip for authors. Thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, no, we're honored that you would come spend time with us. Um, what made you want to write this book? So the book was a very uh, personal journey, uh, as, as you know from, from reading it, that uh, as my friend Gretchen Rubin says, research is me-search. Uh, and I had this problem in spades. You know, some people think, oh, you wrote Indistractable, you know, you wrote this book about distraction because you are the master of willpower and focus and exactly the opposite. <laughs> I wrote the book because I needed this desperately. Uh, and there was, you know, I, there, there was one, moment that really made me reconsider my relationship with uh, distraction, which was when I was with my daughter uh, this afternoon, uh, this one afternoon, and um, uh, this was this was several years ago, but I remember sitting with her, uh, and we had this book of activities that, that daddies and daughters could do together, and one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. I remember the question verbatim. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And uh, I remember that question so clearly, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment, for whatever reason, I decided that that was a good time to just check my phone real quick and let me just do this one thing. And by the time I looked up from my device, I'd realized that I had sent a message to my daughter that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she got the hint and she left the room and uh, I blew it. Right, I, I absolutely blew this perfect daddy-daughter moment. And if I'm really honest with you guys, I have to tell you, it, it wasn't just with my daughter that this would happen. It would happen when I was at work and I would say, okay, I really need to focus on uh, finishing this, this blog post or finish this proposal, or whatever it is I was working on. And somehow 20, 30, 45 minutes later, I was working on everything but the thing I said I was gonna work on. It would happen when I would say I was going to exercise and eat right, and yet I didn't. And so that's when I decided, you know, if, if I could have any superpower, I just want the power to do what it is I say I'm going to do, right? Because in this day and age, we all basically know what to do. Who doesn't know that to get in shape, you have to eat right and exercise? Do, do we really need to buy diet books to tell us that? We know that. Does anybody know, not know that to have good relationships, we need to be fully present with the people we love? We know that. Do we not know that if we want to do better in our jobs, we have to be fully present and actually do the hard work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do? Yeah. We know this. <laughs> so the question is no longer, what do we do? We already know what to do. And frankly, if you don't know what to do, Google it. There's a million people out there who will tell you exactly step-by-step step how to solve every single one of your problems. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is we don't know how to stop getting in our own way. We don't know how to stop getting distracted. And so that's why I think becoming indistractable is the skill of the century. And this is the superpower that I most wanted. Uh, but then when I read other books about this topic and I read every single book I could find on this topic, they didn't work, 
They didn't work. They told me to get rid of my cell phone, get rid of social media, digital detoxing. That doesn't work any more than a fad diet works. You know what happens after a fad diet, you know, 30 days of no carbs, 30 days of this, 30 days of that. And then what do you do? You know, day 31, blah, 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 you, you I'm like day two, I'm back to my old habit. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So I wanted a long-term solution. And that's why I started digging into the deeper psychology of, of distraction over the past five years. And the result was the book Indistractable. Yeah. Yeah. I found it at such a weird time because I, of course, uh, found your book, not even thinking that it was something that I was going to use for myself. My child was diagnosed with an ADHD um, diagnosis, and I was trying to understand kind of natural ways to kind of combat and, and, and help her out. And then it blew my mind. <laughs> it, it literally, it, it rocked me to my core because it's like all those things that you just explained, I was feeling, and, and I still do from time to time. But what I loved is that you gave such tangible ways forward and like tools for your reader to really just hit the ground running when they were ready to do so. Was that on purpose? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I wanted, uh, I wanted to explain not only the tactics, you know, there are a ton of books out there that are nothing but tactics, right? Grayscale your phone, uh, turn off notifications. Okay. Do you need a book for that? <laughs> like, that's kind of obvious stuff, right? That's kindergarten stuff. What I wanted to do was to explain more than just the tactics, but also the strategy. Tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. And I didn't find that any other book really talked about the deeper psychology, the real reason why I would get distracted. And this was what was so helpful to me was to understand that distraction begins from within, that we have studies that show that 90% of the time that we check our phones, it's not because of a ping or ding. We think it's all about the external triggers, right? We think it's about the pings, dings, notifications, all the what we call external triggers, but that's only 10% of the reason that you check your phone. 90% of the time, studies find, you check your phone because of an internal trigger, not an external trigger, an internal trigger. What are internal triggers? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotions that we seek to escape from. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, anxiety, fearfulness, these uncomfortable sensations that we look to escape with a distraction. So whether it's you know too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, it doesn't matter. All of these distractions have the same common cause, which is the desire to escape discomfort. So if we don't acknowledge that time management is pain management, we will always get distracted by one thing or another. So that's why we have to look at these deeper reasons. It's not just Facebook and Instagram and the iPhone that's doing it to us. It's ridiculous. Plato, the Greek philosopher, was talking about this very same problem 2,500 years ago. This is not a new problem. Technology did not create this. It's our inability to cope with discomfort. And so that's why we have to start the very first step is mastering our internal triggers. This is a perfect segue into what I need to thank you for because I did not expect this to be a psychology book by any means. Kala actually recommended it to me and um, I was like, oh yeah, I know I get distracted. Like my phone just you know, runs my life as people say. And uh, so this stumbling upon um, the word rumination, mm. um, I really have to thank you for. Um, not, not to get too heavy, but um, I, I had an eating disorder for almost half my life and, and I worked on it and, and healed past it mostly. Um, but I did have like a residual binge eating behaviors that I had just kind of accepted mm. as 
part of my life. You know, it's normal. And, and um, it, you mentioned health earlier. I, I am a personal trainer and uh, part of me couldn't help but feel, you know, kind of ashamed and, and like kind of a fraud, yeah. to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, you know, having, giving advice all day about how to, how to live healthy and, and eat well. And meanwhile, I have this like dirty little secret kind of a thing going on, you know? Um, but, but when I was reading your book, you talk about the cycle of, um, resisting and then obsessing and, and ruminating and then giving in. And, and I really felt, I thought I was exhausted from, from, from that cycle. I thought I was exhausted from resisting the temptations and, you know, there's food everywhere. How can you be good a hundred percent of the time. Um, but when you described the word rumination, it, it, it kind of like Cal said, just, it, it blew my mind. Um, I don't know how I haven't heard that word before, but, um, you know, it, it came, became really clear to me that I wasn't exhausted from, um, resisting. I was exhausted from just the buildup of, of ruminating on negative thoughts in my head. And, and I used food for comfort and, and discovering that, that the ruminating on my negative thoughts was the source of that. I would notice then that it was happening. Like I, I would notice I was starting to go down that path. Like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking negatively. And I, and I would say out loud, I'm ruminating Amazing. and, and it literally, it would stop. It would stop right there and, and yeah. I would move on. Um, it, it, it was amazing. Um, and I, it's, it's so funny. It was the, it was a missing puzzle piece that I, I didn't know I needed months had gone by and I don't know what triggered this thought, but I, I was like, I haven't, yeah. I haven't yeah. felt the urge and bravo to, to, to you, by the way, because it, a lot of people, uh, when they experience that, um, you, you did the right thing, which is recognizing the unhealthy behavior, what, and, and thought process. What a lot of people do is they take it on the inside, right? They say, oh, I am a, right? They label themselves. I have a short attention span. I mm. have an addictive personality. I'm a morning person. I'm not a morning person. I'm a this, I'm a that. And that can, you know, as you, as you, as you read in the book, <laughs> you know, having that identity can either serve us or hurt us. So bravo to you to not uh, j- taking, I think that unhealthy step that a lot of people do, which is, oh, that's who I am, because that becomes a cage for our psyche that is very difficult to escape. And it was, it was. So I, I have to, I really have to thank you because it was getting rid of that was it, it, not binge eating anymore, just became a byproduct of, of learning about rumination. And, and, and that's hilarious because I had struggled so hard for years trying to, mm-hmm. to resist doing that. And it, and it would always come back. And um, uh, part of what also helped me too, was you talking about how willpower isn't finite. And I, I would love to, for you to go into that if you could talk a little more about that because that was eye-opening for me. Yeah, th- this research really blew my mind and that uh, I had learned uh, for, for years that willpower is a depletable resource, right? We've all heard this, that we run out of willpower, right? And uh, uh, this actually, this, this theory came from a, a, a series of studies uh, that came out of the university, or sorry, uh, uh, Florida State University, a, a researcher there wrote a very popular book called Willpower. And in this book, he talked about this research that he'd done that, that appeared to show that willpower is a depletable resource, that we run out of it, just like we would run out of gas in a gas tank. And he called it ego depletion. And even if you didn't know the term, uh, you, you, you probably acted in accordance. I certainly did. You know, I would come home from work and I would say, oh, I had such a rough day at work. Uh, I have no willpower left. I can't make any good choices. That's it. I deserve a, a treat. I'm, I'm totally spent, quote unquote. 
give me that pint of Ben and Jerry's. I'm going to sit on the couch and watch Netflix, right? Because I have no more willpower left. And, and this got a lot of credibility because of these studies that this researcher conducted. And as we often do in, in the social sciences, when we see that a study sounds a little too good to be true, that it smells a little fishy, what we do is we rerun the study. We try and do what's called replicating the results. And what researchers found that it turns out that it ain't true. <laughs> in fact, when they tried to rerun these exact same tests according to the protocols that this research established, couldn't do it. And there's been study on top of study that shows that this is not real, that ego depletion doesn't work, and that you don't run out of willpower like you would run out of gas in a gas tank, except in one group of people. That a fantastic researcher by the name of Carol Dweck, you might recognize the name, she wrote the, a wonderful book called Mindset, which I highly recommend. Uh, so, she, so she did this study where she found that there was in fact one group of people who really did run out of willpower, just like someone would run out of gas in a gas tank. And those people, and only those people, guess who they were? Were people who believed that willpower was a limited resource. So if you were the kind of person who believed that you were going to run out of it, you did. And so that's why I'm on this mission right now. It's kind of this crusade that I'm on to try and tell people to be very careful about these limiting beliefs that we hold around that. And we love to label ourselves. I think the, the most recent label is that social media and technology is addicting us, that it's hijacking our brain. There's nothing we can do about it because we're all being hopelessly manipulated by these technologies. And ironically, guess what? That is exactly what the tech companies want. They want you to believe it's helpless, that you're helpless and hopeless. Right? Because, well, my kids won't stop playing video games because they're quote unquote addicted, right? That I, I, I can't stop. Why, how can I even try? That it's hopeless because that's, you know, it's too late. I'm, my brain's being hijacked. Rubbish. It's only true if we believe it's true. And so, what I want to do is to empower people to say, look, there's nothing wrong with these technologies. If you use them responsibly according to your values and on your schedule, enjoy them. There's nothing wrong with them, right? but I show you exactly how to get the best out of these uh, technologies without letting them get the best of you. Yeah, that, that principle of learned helplessness mm -hmm. like you were talking about, um, with, where people just think that the problem is too big, right? The technology is just there, it's not gonna go away, so why even bother? Yeah, like why even try, try not using it? Why, yeah. yeah, what do you say to people who, who fall into that? Well, change your mindset. True, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, whatever, you know, wh whether you can, I think it was, was it Henry Ford? I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, but he said something to the effect of whether you, if you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Yeah. 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 Right. So if you believe in advance that that's what I'm going to do, or I am a such and such, uh, most likely you will conform to that belief. And, and by the way, we can use this for good, mm -hmm. right? That in the beginning of the book, I, I talk about this research around ego depletion and why it's bunk and we shouldn't believe it because the research just doesn't bear it out. Uh, I overturn a lot of apple cards in the book as, as, as you read. Uh, but at the end of the book, I talk about how we can actually use this phenomenon of an identity to serve us as opposed to us serving it, where what we can do is to actually have a new identity uh, that I call this an identity pact that the reason I called the book indistractable is that indistractable sounds like indestructible. I wanted it to sound like a superpower. And the good news is we've been here before, mm -hmm. right? So I remember, so I grew up in the 1980s 
And I remember, this is going to sound crazy to anyone who's younger than I am, but I remember very clearly that in my house, in all my friends' house, everyone had ashtrays, mm-hmm. ashtrays. We had them in our living room. We had them in the dining room. My parents did not smoke at the time. Uh, my dad had quit years earlier. My mom never smoked. And every household of everybody I knew had ashtrays. Some people used to have ashtray collections. That was a thing, right? Why? Because back in the 1980s, people just expected to walk into your house and light up a cigarette in your living room. That's just what people did, right? Until people started saying, "Uh uh-uh, right? They started spreading what we call social antibodies. And in fact, I remember when my mom one day threw away the ashtrays, she got rid of them. And when one of her friends came over and took out a pack of cigarettes and lit it up in our living room, she said, oh, 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 I'm sorry. We are non-smokers. If you'd like to smoke, if you'd kindly go outside. <gasps> this was such a, really? a remarkable thing to do. You. Yeah. Ask, yeah, exactly. How dare you? And this is exactly what we have to do today. That the reason it's so important that we start calling ourselves indistractable is that this is how we inoculate society from these bad tendencies. There was never a law that says you can't smoke in someone's house, right? Why did people stop? Mm-hmm. Well, because individual people, brave people like my mom, stood up and said, no, that's not who we are. We are non-smokers. Well, today our challenge is to say, no, we are indistractable. I'm indistractable. I don't answer every text message within 30 seconds. I'm indistractable. Meaning if you're going to have lunch with me, you have to have it without your device. And I will give you the same courtesy and respect. I'm indistractable. That means when I'm with my kids, I'm fully present with my kids and coworkers and colleagues. That's who I am. I am indistractable. And what we're using, interestingly enough, is the exact same psychology at work whenever we use a moniker. So for example, a vegetarian, okay? A vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, should I have a bacon sandwich today for <laughs> breakfast? No, it's who they are, right? They are a, a devout Muslim. Yeah, a devout Muslim doesn't say, oh, should I have a beer with dinner? No, devout Muslims don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. It is who they are, is yeah, their identity. So and much. so that's why we can use this new moniker to help us stay on track to become indistractable. Well, and I, yeah, it, it's really awesome too, because like doing identity packs, and then I, I also want to get into the price packs too. That was one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah. Um, it, it really puts the power back into people's hands. And, and that way, you know, like you said, uh, the media is telling us that technology is running our life and ruining our kids and, and all of that. But, but by using these tools, it, it makes that a choice. If you want to let technology run your life, that's, that's your decision, but it doesn't have to be that way. And, and I like that you talked about how it's very easy to blame technology because it's not going anywhere. And, and then, then there's nothing I can do about it if it's technology. But that, I mean, this book, it is very empowering because right, yeah. um, you give so many tools, and not just Thank external you. tools. Like you talk about internal triggers too. And, and um, it's, it's just super useful. <laughs> right. To, to, yeah, to yeah. be clear, I just wanted to interject that um, I'm not yeah. saying use technology right. more. <laughs> I'm not saying use technology yes. less. I'm not pro-tech. I'm not anti-tech. What I want to do is to help you do whatever it is you say you want to do with your time. If you want to play video games all day, and that's what you decide you want to do in advance, and it's according to your values, great, do it. What, why is playing video games any more or less morally superior to watching a football game on TV. There's no difference, right? So anything you want to do with your time, the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. As long as you do it according to your values and your schedule, 
enjoy it. I'm not going to tell you not to do it. It's about doing these things with intent, with forethought. That's what I want to help people do. Yeah, that's what changed the game for me, <laughs> for sure. Um, time blocking uh, was like a, the the meat of the book, as Leanne likes to to call it when we talk about it. Um, that's the one tool that I really took to heart with this is just really, like you said, taking my values and then making them work for me throughout my day and not the other way around. Did you struggle when you set out your own time block schedule of maybe putting too much in at first and then really having to, to streamline that process? Yeah, yeah. So let me just explain kind of for, for folks who, who aren't familiar. Yeah, with please. Mm -hmm. uh, so first, I, I think the best place to start when it comes to understanding how to be indistractable is to understand what is distraction, really, because it's one of those words that I thought I understood, but it turns out I really didn't. And the best way to understand uh, or to know whether you really understand what distraction is, is to try and think what's the opposite of distraction, right? It's a great way to test whether you know something is to know whether you know the antonym. So what's the opposite of distraction? Most people say the opposite of distraction is focus, but that's not true. That the opposite of distraction is not focus. If you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is traction. That both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you're going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that you are not doing with intent, anything that moves you further away from your values and pulls you away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this is really important. This isn't just semantics. This is really important, I think, for two reasons. Number one, anything can be a distraction, right? That if uh, you sit down at your desk, as I used to do for years, and I would say, okay, I got to work on this big project. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to get in my way. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm not going to get distracted. Here I go. I'm going to get started right now. But first, let me just check email real quick, right? Let me just, uh, that's a work-related task. I got to yeah. do that, right? Or <laughs> let me quick. do that thing on my to-do list real quick. I got a hundred things on my to-do list. Let me just do those things, a couple of easy things on my to-do list. And I tricked myself into thinking, oh, I'm still being productive. I still got to check email. Might as well do it now than later. And what I didn't realize is that I was allowing distraction to trick me into prioritizing the urgent and easy work at the expense of the important work. And so anything can be a distraction. Even the stuff we think is productive, if it's not what you plan to do, you're distracted. And conversely, anything can be traction. That, Like, like we said earlier, if you want to watch TV, Netflix, Facebook, video games, pray, meditate, walk, doesn't matter. If you decide in advance that's what you want to do with your time, it's traction. Enjoy it as long as you're doing it with intent. Now, here's the thing. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So in my, my research over the past five years, you know, I would talk to various people about this problem of distraction. They would say, oh, I can't seem to get anything done. I, uh, you know, my boss wants this and my kids want that. And you see what happened in the news and did you see, read what happened on Twitter? Oh my God, everything that's happening in the world today, everything's so distracting. And I would say, wow, that's really harsh. You know, that's, that's terrible. But what did you plan to do with your time today? Can I see your schedule? Oh, my schedule? But, but my to-do list, I've got 100 things on my to-do list that I didn't get done. I said, that's not the question. The question is, what was on your schedule? 
because you cannot call something right. a distraction unless you know what, it, what you got distracted from. So if you can't tell me, hey, look, I planned to do X, but I did Y, you can't complain. Everything is a distraction yeah. unless you know what it distracted you from. And so that brings us to this technique that you mentioned called time boxing, which today is not optional, right? This technique is absolutely critical. And the, and the interesting thing is thousands of studies, I didn't realize how many studies had been done showing that this simple technique called making an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way of saying, planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it has been studied thousands of times. Researchers have been trying to tell the public about this technique for decades. And most people won't do it because they fear the, I don't know what it is. They fear the conformity. They fear a hundred different things. You know what they fear? They fear having to do the things they know they should do. <laughs> so they don't plan it. Right. Mm -hmm. And aren't we masters of kind of hiding what that is? Like, oh, but I also have to do this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. And so what, what technique do most people use? They use to-do lists. And to-do lists, I'm here to tell you, are the worst thing you can do for your personal productivity. That running your life on a to-do list is just about the worst thing you can do. Why? Because to-do lists have no constraints. Right. It's like a bank account that has endless amounts of money. I'm just going to add another task and another task and another task. And there's no limit. Whereas when you use a calendar, when you run your life on a calendar, not a to-do list. And by the way, to be very clear, I'm not against writing things down that you have to get done. What I'm against is running your life with a to-do list. So if you wake up in the morning and you say, what am I supposed to do today? Let me look at my to-do list versus let me look at my calendar. You've already lost because the best to-do list needs to live on your calendar. So immediately after you dump it out of your brain, it's gotta find a place in your day or it's just not gonna get done. Uh, and so that's, that's why that technique is so, so important. So to, to, to answer your question around uh, the difficulties of time boxing, it's supposed to be a little difficult, why? Because there is a constraint and that constraint is every single human being on the face of the earth, no matter if you have billions of dollars like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, you still have the same 24 hours in your day. And so you have to decide, how am I going to spend that time? And so there's many people, many philosophers have advised, you know, different methods. The way I, the, the way, what I advise is to turn your values into time, turn your values into time. What does that mean? You know, a lot of us, we talk a good game about our values. When you ask people, you know, what are your values? They'll say, oh, my health is a value and my children and my friends. Okay, great. But if I want to see whether you just talk the talk and see actually whether you walk the walk, I want to look at two things. I want to look at how you spend your money and I want to look at how you spend your time. That's going to tell me what your values really are. Because what are values? What's the definition of values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. Let me say that again. Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. So how can I define, how can I decide how, what kind of person I want to become without deciding how I will spend my time in the future. So that's why when we turn our values into time, this is how we ensure we can live out our values, not just talk about them. So for example, if you say, look, one of my values is uh, to be the kind of person who takes care of their physical health, right? Everybody says, oh, you know, health, that's what I always wish for. I just want to be healthy. I just want my kids to be healthy. I want to be healthy. That's the most important thing. Well, that's easy to say, but do you have time in your day for proper rest, right? How many of us with kids, I, I have a little girl and, you know, for years I would be a hypocrite and I would say, oh, you have to get to bed on time. It's very important to get to bed on time. But did I have a bedtime? No, 
<laughs> right? Like every neuroscientist on the face of the earth will tell you that sleep is absolutely important to your physiological and psychological health. How many grownups have a bedtime? Hardly Very any few. I know, yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, planning that time, putting that time on your schedule, not only for the productive stuff, right? Not only for the work-related tasks, but also your relationships, right? We know that loneliness is as detrimental to our health as smoking and obesity. But do we plan that time for our important relationships? Do we plan the time, uh, you know, for the people we love, or do we give them whatever scraps of time are left over? Uh, for our physical health, of course, we need to plan that time and for our work time. You know, so many of us are running around all day doing what we call reactive work, reacting to emails, reacting to phone calls, reacting to Slack channels. But we have almost no time for what we call reflective work, that time that is spent doing the kind of work that we can only do without distraction. And so if we don't plan our day, somebody's going to plan it for us. So does your schedule look like from the more, more moment you wake up to your bedtime, it's time blocked morning till evening? The entire day, wow. the entire day. Now, that doesn't mean it's there. It's, it's the same every day and week right. to week. Part of the time that was the mistake I made. <laughs> oh, you, you, oh, you, you did one and done. Well, well I, I had to work the program, right? I had to kind of understand what my values were and what was really important to me. Lots of things can be important to me, but when I really had to break it down on in that level, it really made me yeah. prioritize and restructure. But yeah, that, I, I started that way and that now it's not that way anymore. <laughs> that is that is everyone's first mistake is that they think, okay, yeah. I made my schedule, I'm gonna follow this forever. No, in fact, uh, you know, not only do I reassess it every week, every week I have time in my schedule time block <laughs> to review my schedule for the week ahead, <laughs> right? And it, it takes literally 15 minutes. It mm -hmm. never takes me more than 15 minutes. Because um, now once you do it the first time, it's really easy because you say to yourself, oh, you know what? I need a little bit more time for email or my exercise allotment mm -hmm. was too much or I can combine, you know, calling my, my friends while I'm doing a walk or wh whatever. You're going to once a week sit down with yourself. You know, I, I use uh, Google Calendar. It's totally free and adjust that calendar for the week ahead to make it easier to follow. So it's not like you just do it once, you do it the first time and then you're making small adjustments and tweaks so that you can learn how long stuff takes you. We know, this is called the planning fallacy, the average person takes three times as long to finish a task as they estimate. So this is another reason why to-do lists don't work because without any kind of feedback loop, we think, oh yeah, I'll do that quick blog post. I'll, I'll answer those emails. I'll do that quick project, whatever it is. No problem, it'll just take me half an hour. It's likely gonna take you an hour and a half <laughs> on average. And people don't learn from it because they don't, they don't time box. Whereas when you time box, you say, okay, last time I thought that thing would only take me an hour. It actually took me three. Okay, I need to make some adjustments. You here. have to, I do it every Sunday. Like you said, it's, it's about 15 minutes and, and you know, I, I kind of take the lists that are on my to-do list and then break them down into the areas. And then I have things that are gonna recur every week. So I know that those are gonna be there and, and you adjust accordingly. And it's like time boxing inception, time box, your time box planning. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's made me more productive than I've ever been in my entire life. And I thank you. <laughs> this is the oh. best call. I love this. This is fantastic. I'm so glad it's working for you. And, and by the way, just to be clear, I don't want people to think you need to time box, you know, two minute increments. That's silly. Like if you've got uh, little, you know, be realistic. Tasks, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bunch in a bunch of like small little admin tasks, you know, paying bills or whatnot in a, in a big chunk mm -hmm. of time, two, three hour time, time block sometime. But I know what that time is allotted for, you know, with my daughter as well. 
Uh, you know, we have mm-hmm. what we call planned spontaneity. It sounds like an oxymoron, planned spontaneity. But I, mean, I, know, I love it. That you know, speaks to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tomorrow, for example, it, it is my afternoon with my daughter. It's Saturday, I've got time with my daughter. I don't know what we're going to do, right? Maybe we'll go yeah. to the park. Maybe we'll go for a walk. I don't really know what we're going to do. But I've got a big old chunk of time, four hours, just for her. Why? Why is that even on my calendar? Because it holds a place for me to know what I will not be doing with my time. I will not be checking social media. I will not be taking phone calls. I will not be answering emails. And holding that time on my calendar makes sure that I can fulfill my my values of being an available and loving father. I'm just so curious. um, How did you discover that time boxing is an effective tool? Like, Like, how did that come into your life? You know, I wish I could take credit for it because it works so well. I mean, if, if people give it a chance, a lot of people resist it. Again, I think the deeper reason so many people resist it is that they make up excuses. They go, oh, my life has too many changes. My, my, it's unpredictable. I don't want, I want the I don't want to be caged yeah. in. It's, you know, it's so, it's so rigid and it's exactly the opposite. The real reason the deeper psychology is that once you time box, then you actually have to do what you say you're going to do, right? You may have to actually go to the gym. Mm-hmm. You may have to spend time with your kids without looking at social media. That's scary. <laughs> it's very scary. <laughs> and I wish I could take credit for the technique because it is so darn effective, but I can't. It's It's been around the psychology community for decades and decades. They don't call it time boxing. The psychologists call it making an implementation intention. Uh, but the, 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 the practice has been around for a very long time. Yeah. Time boxing is catchier than implementation intention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I needed but a yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kala, you were you were saying. Oh no, no, you're fine. I I found quite the opposite. I, I thought it would be really restrictive. I I've always wanted to be spontaneous, but again, it's just a bunch of excuses to not do what you say you're going to do. Um, and I think a lot of us have really big wants for our lives and things that we want to accomplish and time boxing actually gave me the freedom to explore those. Whereas before I wasn't, it, it was just loads and loads of excuses. So that's, that's all I really wanted to add to that. Mm-hmm. There's freedom in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't want people to think that I, I want everyone to schedule in, you know, every minute of their day needs to be productive time. I have time in my schedule for social media because yeah. I like social media. I like scrolling yeah, Facebook. Me too right? It's fun. I like connecting with my friends on Instagram, but you know what? I do it on my schedule, not the tech companies. How long did it take you to, to, to kind of time box your schedule into like the perfect schedule for you? Or is it just kind of like a living, breathing thing that changes all the time? Yeah, it does. It does change all the time, but it doesn't change. It never changes in the day. So I do it once a week. Now, so that's not, you know, a little, for most people, that's fine. You know, 80% of the people once a week is, is enough time. It's the amount of time that you have visibility into. Uh, and most people kind of more or less know what their week ahead is going to look like. Some people, they go to work and they're not schedule makers they're schedule takers, meaning that they don't know what they're going to do every day. Right. So if you're on a hospital shift, you're going to do whatever you got to do and you don't know exactly uh, when that's going to happen, in which case you shouldn't be checking your phone in the middle of, you know, uh, dealing with the patient anyway. Right? Right. But if you if you work in the kind of job where your schedule changes day to day, well, then the first thing you do in the morning for five minutes is to make that schedule, to make that small adjustments. But again, once you've made that schedule, and, and I'll, I'll give you a link uh, for the show notes, I built this free tool anybody can use on my website. It's at nearandfar.com. Uh, forward slash schedule hyphen maker. It's a free tool. You don't have to sign up for anything. 
I just made it because people kept asking me, like, how do I get started? So, and you can use any tool, by the way. You can use uh, Google Calendar. You can use pen and paper. It doesn't really matter. The best tool is the one you use. And so I made this very, very simple tool. I coded up to, to, to make it easy for people to get started. But once you have that, that calendar, maybe it takes you maybe 30, 45 minutes to do it the very first time. Uh, and then after that, it's, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes to adjust it from okay. week to week. Is, is that what you found, Cal? Is that, is that how long it took you? Yeah. I mean, it, it took me a while. Like I said, it, I really had to get right with my value, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. And I had yeah. to come to terms with, I like to play video games sometimes, and that's okay. And, you know, really block that stuff in and not be embarrassed by it because it refills my cup so that I can focus on the other things and making sure that those maybe aren't in on a daily basis, but definitely a weekly basis, you know, so that... Mm -hmm. My cup's being filled and I can give to others. That's really important. Totally. You need to make sure your Animal yeah. Crossing yeah, you know, Island is on point. <laughs> I do. I have to keep up on that ridiculous game. Which, you know, so I read Hooked after I read Indistractable. Uh -huh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that just... <laughs> Right, you're doing what they're doing to you, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and doing it to myself, you know, they ha are building businesses, which kudos to them, they're able to do it. Um, but yeah. I'm actually having my son who wants to, you know, be the gamer YouTuber that he is, go back and read this book and listen to you explain these things to get him yeah. to understand to prioritize his time a little bit too. And he's finding it fascinating and he's only 10 years old. Um, oh, but he, awesome. yeah, like he's so into it. But um, this year, we, COVID kind of pushed us into it, but we had been contemplating homeschooling for a long time. And, and time boxing with that has made all the difference in the world, not only for me, but for them. And it's totally. made us successful, you know? And I, yeah, sorry. So, totally. so yes, boxing totally. yeah. all those things in, coming to terms with it, and just bringing everybody on board has just been so beneficial. Absolutely. You know, I'm so I'm so glad to hear that. And I think, you know, I can hear in your voice that you have experienced, I think, what very few people have actually felt, which is the the relief of real leisure. I think that's kind of the the real cost of this, what I call the tyranny of the to-do list. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the the problem is that we have these to-do lists that go on and on and on. And even when we say, you know what? I just want to play Animal Crossing or I just want to watch a movie on Netflix or I just want to hang out with my kids. We feel guilty yeah, guilt. because we have yeah, a million things on that to-do list, mm -hmm. right? That aren't mm -hmm. done. Whereas when it says on your calendar, time for Animal Crossing, <laughs> time for, for Facebook, time okay, for- I code it. It just says coffee in the morning, but that's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't want people to yeah, see it on your calendar. I don't want to be that honest, but it's out there now. Yeah. <laughs> But when you do that, right, like, you know, I used to have this guilt with, with spending time with my kid, right, that I just want to hang out with my kid in the evening and not do email and not do work. And when I had a million things left on my to-do list that I wouldn't do, I felt guilty for it. Whereas now, it's, you know, it says in my book, time to read with my daughter. That's, that's all I'm supposed to be doing with my time. Yeah. And that, is, that feels so good because I don't have any guilt that I'm supposed to be elsewhere. I can actually right. be there fully present. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I've been handing your book out like candy to everyone. Aww. It's kind of been like required reading if they want to like be in my inner circle. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's funny because now I have friends like, can you block out some time for my calls and I can send them my little woven link to, you know, schedule their time. And it's certain days of the week when I can do calls with friends because that's important to me. And, and I want to do that. And it's, it's so silly to operate that way. And some people just, it's too weird for them to even grasp that. But that works. 
and it it makes my time where I'm there with them, not thinking about other things or or the job that I need to do or the blog that I need to write or the guest that I'm trying to book or whatever it is. I'm able to just be there with them. And and I like having that time chunk out of my day to just be with my kids. And it's not work time. It's not any of that. And it's allowed a lot of um, it's allowed a lot more actually to come into my life than I was ever anticipating or could have could have seen coming. So, yeah, That's it awesome. definitely That's works. Awesome. <laughs> it's almost like a, so it's, it's like an externally driven present mindedness. Like it, it forced you like, this is my task for the next X amount of 30 minutes. Like it, it can't help or it can't, it, it, it only helps to be present minded because you know that that's your time designated for that. And, it, and that's people talk so much about, you know, the importance of being present and we're all so distracted and there's so much going on. But um, I think having that tool to say, okay, like the next 30 minutes, this is what I'm doing. It, it kind of forced present mindedness. I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, and to be clear, it's, it, that's only one of the four strategies, right? Right. The first yeah. One sorry. That's just my, like, for life. that was my yeah. life changing <laughs> hack. <laughs> totally. totally. So, so the first one, of course, is mastering the internal triggers. That's, yeah. that's the most important step, right? So that when that you one. feel that discomfort of, oh, this is, you know, this kind of sucks. I'm kind of bored. I just want to check the news. I just want to scroll Pinterest or Facebook or something to know what to do with that uncomfortable sensation. That's the first step. The Mm -hmm. second step is what we talked about a minute ago around making time for traction, you know, turning your values into time. But just as important are the other two remaining steps of the strategies of hacking back the external triggers, right? Understanding how to remove all of those pings and dings. Uh, that's probably the most tactical part of the book. Yeah. You know, that's where I go, you know, every distraction you can imagine from emails to meetings to your kids, right? <laughs> How distracting can kids be, <laughs> especially now that we're working from home, they can be a huge source of distraction. Uh, and then finally, the fourth step is to prevent distraction with packs. And it's really about using these four techniques in concert. You know, I, I talk to a lot of folks and, and, and they'll say like, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble, I'm struggling and you know, this isn't working or what about this? And, you know, this distraction keeps coming up. And every single time uh, the, the diagnosis is the same. It's, have you tried all four techniques in concert? Right? Together, it, you can't pick it, and choose. <laughs> you can't pick and choose. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to this topic, they just say, you know, what's the magic bullet? What, what's the one thing I need to do? And there really isn't just one thing you need to do. It's about four basic strategies, which none of them are that hard. And by the way, you don't have to do them all at once. You don't have to, I mean, I give a lot of stuff in the book. Uh, You don't have to do everything I tell you to do, but I would like people to do at least one small thing in each of these four strategies, right? Whether you buy the book or not, you know, how are you going to cope with that discomfort? Can you recognize that it's the boredom, loneliness, anxiety that precedes the distraction? That's a very, very important point. Of course, there's a lot more you can do about it that I described in the book. But if you can, after you listen to this, this episode, just be cognizant of that. Maybe even write down what is that real feeling you're trying to escape from before you get distracted. And then, you know, the second step of making time for traction, can you plan out one afternoon a week? Just start with that. Don't time box every, you know, minute of your day for seven days of the week. Maybe just one afternoon. What would that look like to live out your values by deciding how you want to spend your time in advance? And the third step of hacking back your external triggers, any of us can take five minutes to turn off our notification settings, right? As much as people complain about phones being addictive and hijacking our brain, two thirds of people with a smartphone, two thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings. Really? Give me anxiety. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's crazy, you know? And then they 
complain about, oh, it's so distracting. Well, you have, well, like, why are you getting ping and ding every 30 seconds? Learn yeah. how you to You literally signed up for yeah. this. <laughs> you can yeah, change exactly. it. Yeah. And once you change those settings, you know, there's nothing that Mark Zuckerberg can do to reach back in your phone and turn right. it back on. Right. right? There's nothing yeah. to do. So true. And, and then the, fi- the final step of do one small thing, one small pack. This, we didn't talk about this, so maybe, maybe it's worth diving into. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, so a pact is a, a promise that you make to yourself or to somebody else, or ironically to a technology, so that as the last line of defense, as the, the firewall against distraction, when you're really tempted, this is your last uh, line of, of protection. Uh, and so there's three types of pacts. Uh, we've talked about identity pacts. There's also what we call an effort pact. An effort pact is when you put some bit of work, some friction in between you and something you don't want to do. So in my household, we have an outlet timer that every night at 10 p.m. turns off the electricity to our internet router. Okay. Right. So every night, 10 p.m., <laughs> the internet shuts off. That's hardcore. Right? Now, what, yeah, you, you, you think, okay, but, but can't you just turn it back on or find another way to, to connect? Of course we can. I could, I could go underneath my desk. I could unplug it. I could replug it in. I could do that. But that takes work, mm. right? So that bit of effort makes me be mindful when I otherwise was mindless. And by the way, I don't even need it anymore because right. now I know, hey, every night 10 p.m. is coming. I better yeah. shut off. It, now it's become a routine for my daughter, for my wife. We all know 10 o'clock is coming. The internet's going to shut off. So hurry up and, and, <laughs> and done. Get and your time be- in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then the, the third kind is, is what we call a price pact, where you put some kind of monetary disincentive to getting distracted. Uh, and so there's all kinds of techniques you can use there. So it's really about using these four techniques in concert, or these four strategies, I should say, in concert. I, yeah. I did love the part about price packs um, because, I mean, that part freaked me yeah. out. <laughs> well, also, anything Wait. fitness related, I'm like totally in, right? So um, I loved your story about the burning 100 or burning calories or burning the $100 bill. Yeah. Can, you, can you go into that a little bit? Sure, sure. So a, a bit of a backstory. So I used to be clinically obese. Uh, and I always hated exercise. My entire life hated exercise. My friends would say, oh, you know, I got a runner's hide today and I ran a, a, a half marathon. I, I had no idea what they're talking about. What does that exercise even mean? To me was the most miserable thing I'd ever do, right? I hated exercise. Mm-hmm. But one of my values was to be the kind of person who takes care of their physical health. And I'm proud to report today at age 42, I am in the best shape of my life. Congratulations. Uh, I, I, thank you. That's thank you. Huge. That's I'm awesome. just about to run a, I, I, I run a, I run four miles in 738. I'm going for 730, but I've never been able wow. to run. Yeah. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> and, that's and, fantastic. And it's nothing, it's nothing special. I'm, I definitely was not born a runner. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I used to hate, hate, hate it. And the reason I, I got better, the reason I lost weight, the reason I got faster was because I just did it consistently, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, one mm-hmm. of my life mantras is consistency over intensity. Right? Yes. It's not about the New Year's resolution. It's not about signing up for the marathon. It's about can you do the boring thing every day for just a little bit of time, but do it consistently for the rest of your life. That's how we improve in work, in, in uh, our personal life, our relationships, and our physical health. It's about consistency over intensity. So it's really about getting out of our own way. I knew I had to exercise, but I wasn't doing it. So after I did the first three steps, okay, Mastering the internal triggers, very, very important, especially when it comes to exercise, figuring out what I was trying to escape from, very important. Yeah. Putting the time on my calendar, the second strategy of making time for traction. It, you know, I had to have a place on my schedule or it wasn't going to happen in my busy day. 
hacking back the external triggers, making sure there was nothing else that was going to distract me from doing my exercise. And then finally, this fourth step of preventing distraction with the pack. And this is where I, I, I talk about in the book, my burn or burn technique. Here's how the burn or burn technique works. And, and again, to, before I tell you how this works, it's part of a holistic strategy. What I'm about to tell you, don't go out and do it if you don't do the other three steps first, because it will backfire yeah. on you, okay? It can be dangerous. But after I did those other three steps, the burn or burn technique works like this. So every morning when I wake up, uh, when I go into my, my, my dresser, there is a, uh, a calendar on the wall there. Okay. And on to today's date, there is a crisp, fresh $100 bill. And above the calendar is a shelf. And above, on that shelf, there's a Bic lighter. Now, every day I have a choice to make, okay? Well, six days a week. That's my challenge to myself. Six days a week, I have a challenge, which is I have to do something to either burn the calories, so take a walk around the block, uh, do some push-ups, uh, do something physical, go on a run, whatever the case might be, do something physical six days a week, burn some calories, or I have to burn the $100 bill. That's the burner burn technique. That's a price pack. There's a financial disincentive from not doing what I say I'm going to do. Now, I did not make up this technique. I adapted it. I created the burner burn technique. But this actually comes out of some great research that showed that the most effective smoking cessation study in history, the number one most effective way to get people to stop smoking, more effective than patches and gum and all that stuff, was to simply give people a bet that they made with themselves that if they didn't stop smoking, they would lose money, okay? So for something as addictive oh, yeah. as nicotine, if it's as effective for that, it can certainly be effective for all kinds of other things. Now, the first people's first reaction is, oh, I could never do that. I don't wanna burn the money. Yeah. Of course you don't wanna burn the money. That's, <laughs> That's what the whole you point. do, you said you're gonna do. <laughs> and so I've done this technique for over four years now. I've lost now, uh, I've lost about 20 pounds uh, and, and I'm, I'm in better shape than I've ever been in my entire life because I consistently do something six days a week. And if you do it for three years, you know, guess what? You get in shape. Yeah. <laughs> but that little bit of extra incentive to make sure that I make a pact with myself and there's a disincentive if I don't do what I say I'm going to do uh, is very, very effective. Yeah. Have you ever had to burn it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my next question. I've never had to burn it. I've never had to burn it. I don't really yeah. feel like it. Cause that's really the problem. Like let's, let's get back to here to, to, to brass tacks. It's always totally. a feeling, yeah. right? Why don't we do it? We yeah. make up some cockamamie excuse, but it's always yeah. a feeling. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. Well, but if I, if I have to burn a hundred bucks, you know what? Okay, <laughs> fine. I'll do my 30 pushups. Okay, fine. I'll take a, you know, I'll go walk a mile. I'll go do something. Yeah. So I don't have to burn that cash. Yeah, it's something active. No. It's not, you're not oh, like exactly. Okay, so this is something I talk about in the book that, that there are some <laughs> occasions when you definitely do not want to use this uh, tactic. So one of them is if, you know, you have unrealistic expectations. So it has to be something that you, know, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and acknowledge yourself. This is something you can absolutely do. So for me, it's very baseline. It's literally go walk one mile, uh, do 30 pushups, something like for me, that's, that is mm -hmm. not a big deal. It has to start there. And it's something, it's not a good thing to use if you're trying to escape a trigger that you can't escape. So for example, do not use that technique if you're trying to stop biting your nails, okay? Yeah. That will not work. It'll lead you down a rumination cycle, which will backfire. So there's qualifications and there's a bunch of things that like I talk about in the book about when you can use it, when you cannot use it. But for certain behaviors, it's a fantastic technique. 
Nir, you're awesome. Oh, my pleasure. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing the pieces that encourage people to be influential with their own lives um, and for sharing the importance of personal responsibility. It's It's been a game changer for us um, with managing our time and, and essentially our lives. So I, I literally cannot thank oh. you enough. It means the world to me that you're well, here. This, this is this um, is why I do what I do. I'm, I'm so happy. You know, when you spend five years on a project and uh, you know these techniques work and you just want to get them out there, uh, you know, you're instrumental in, in helping spread the word. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. And and your listeners are, are, are thanking you through me right now because you, you are really alive. So thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Well, um, you can visit nearandfar.com, N-A-R, spelled like your name, um, where you can subscribe to your blog, where you write incredible pieces. Your LinkedIn is always the best place for me to go first thing in the morning to learn. Um, and your website will connect you to everything on social, other valuable tools, and all sorts of topics on distraction, time management, and self-discipline. So thank you so much for being with us this morning. I appreciate you so uh, much. Wait, Mir, yeah. I have one more oh, question. Oh, I'm sorry, Leanne. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. So uh, the, in the beginning of the book and, and of today, you talked about um, the story about your daughter and, and her superpower and you getting distracted. Um, so did you ever get back to her and ask her what her superpower would Funny be? you should ask that. And in fact, when you asked me that, I got goosebumps because uh, she, she gave me a really Aww. amazing answer. So I did actually uh, go back and ask her. Uh, you know, I felt really bad about it. First of all, I apologized to her and I said, I'm going to figure this out. I really want to really change this about daddy. I, I'm not proud of this. Uh, and she said, okay, that's all right, daddy. We're going to do it together. Uh, and in fact, a few times uh, after I started doing, after I, I started using these techniques that I described in Indistractable, she actually has told me a few times how I'm, I'm much better about it. So that's great. Uh, which is, oh, that's yeah. so cute. But so I did ask her at one point and she said, this is like, I'm going to get choked up here. <laughs> I, I asked her, I said, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't listen the first time you told me this, but I'm really curious. What superpower would you want? And she said that she would want the power to always be kind. Hmm. Always be kind. Like, I'm, I'm going to start crying here. But this is what she said. And <laughs> no, I mean, like, parent wins. That's I amazing. I know. She said, yeah, always be kind. Wins. And I was like, wow, that that's amazing. And then the more I thought about it, um, it was so apropos because we that's not really a superpower if you think about it, right? Like I expected her to say, I want to fly like Superman or, you know, spider webs uh, out of my wrist like Spider-Man or I don't know, like a superhero power. But the fact that she said yeah. kindness was so perfect because we all have the power to be kind, right? We don't need to be mm -hmm. born on an alien planet to have a superpower, you know, or get bitten by a radioactive spider, anybody can be kind. And the same goes for being indistractable, that it's a superpower, but it's one we can absolutely develop, that we can all become indistractable, just as we can all be kind. That's awesome. Oh, what a way that. to start the rest of our day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so, so much. And since you got to add in a bonus question, I want to throw in one thing, one more while we're talking, because I don't know when I'll get to speak to you next. But I have to say, your wordplay at the end of Hooked when you're talking about the Bible app was the funniest, <laughs> most engaging thing ever. And I loved everyone. Oh, I'm so glad you got the so jokes. Good. I wrote those jokes. <laughs> they were hilarious. I let me tell you. Okay, Cal, seriously, not everybody gets the jokes. <laughs> I'm so glad you got them. <laughs> 
we're very familiar with people yeah. not getting jokes. Oh my gosh, I thought it was brilliant and it just made me laugh. And I was like, I see what you're doing here and it's so great. And I just wanted to let you know that I, I respected the hell out of it because it was fantastic. I, I'm so glad that you and I both agree that the highest form of humor is the pun because it's- It is. Awesome. It gets it the is. message across for sure. Awesome. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Thank well, thank you. you. Well, thank you so much. Nir. We appreciate you and we will talk to you so All soon. Right, terrific. Thanks again. Have a great day. Bye, Nir. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HTC community. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo and click around on our links to find ways that you can get involved. And don't forget, you can join us every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Central for coffee and conversation on Instagram Live. Talk soon.